Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, I'm being joined by Jonathan Hiroshi Rossi, who is the CEO, that's Chief Educational Officer, and co founder of a platform and website called SIA or SIA University. Um, SIA's mission is to provide and help develop cybersecurity education and awareness. Jonathan, how are you today? Doing good. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And whereabouts yeah. are you hanging your hat these days? I'm in Los Angeles. I would be in Tokyo, but these days with all the things that are going on, I am in Los Angeles, been here for the last three months and waiting to get back to Tokyo, my temporary home. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting time because it's kind of like wherever you were when this thing, we're talking about the virus or the, uh, the, the pandemic started, yeah. that's pretty much where you have to hold up until things get better. Um, and every, every country has its own different restrictions, limitations. Things in Japan here are relatively open. Um, how are yeah. things down in L.A. right now? They're opening Mm -hmm. They're definitely changed. I've been here for three and a half months. I had about three trips to Japan and one to Singapore, all of them canceled. I have a colleague that's on his way to Tokyo for one of the companies that we've invested in. And he's about to board a flight shortly and he's going to be staying in quarantine for about 14 days before he can rejoin the rest of my team in Tokyo. So. <laughs> I'll, I will circle back with you on that um, sure. at a different time because I'd like to hear about his experience because right now, I, you know, a lot of people in my situation here are afraid to leave the country because we might not be able to come back in. But um, yeah. it'd be interesting to come back to that. Well, hey, um, sure. why, don't we, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background um, and, sure. how, and how that led into the, the creation of, of SIA? Yeah, sure. So my background, I'm trained as a lawyer. I've been going back and forth between the United States and Japan for the last 10 years, starting companies failing some initiatives and really working and grinding and trying to build different types of systems, whether it's in the gaming platform or in the legal services. And then today, what's most relevant to security is cybersecurity education awareness. So I was looking at that entire marketplace and thinking, how could I impact the most number of people in the most lowest cost possible? And that, what I mean by that is when I see education awareness, and I came to that realization two years ago when I was hosting a series of conversations in Japan, live conferences that we would talk about data analytics, we talk about investigatory analytics, all kinds of things and tools that would be leveraged to manage large volumes of data. Then I started to think about security. Well, upside, up chain or upstream on a lot of these companies is how are they handling their most critical assets and what are they investing in to make sure that they're companies, employees are properly addressing security. And I found that there was very little of that. And I decided that it was an opportunity for me to create a security awareness company that focuses on addressing really relevant content that was matching the environment of that community, whether it's a Japanese community or a community in Kenya. It's really trying to match 
the environment. I mean, about 80, 90% of it might be universal, right? In other words, what I mean by that is everybody has similar experiences with their interaction with digital transformation, but there's that maybe 10 to 15, 20% that might be very different. Those 10 to 15, 20% is very critical. And so we looked at that and said, let's do something to address that. And let's reach the largest number of people worldwide. And so that's what our mission has always been. One billion people. And what I mean by that is you have what's seven and a half billion people worldwide and about 45, 50% penetration of internet use. And with that, you have responsibility of ensuring that people that touch any type of connected device also have certain responsibility with, with that type of activity. So SIA was about bridging that and ensuring that every single person within across the entire globe, in our case, Japan initially, had the right resources that are low cost, that was scalable, and that could be deployed relatively easily and, and match them linguistically, culturally. And so we, we built out a platform to take existing content, localize that for different marketplaces. And if it was not possible that the existing content can be properly localized, we'd layer that or augment that with our own existing content. So we would create that from the ground up, do the storyboard, really understand and learn about different issues that come up in the different countries. And in the case of Japan, you, know, you have data privacy rules that are very unique to Japan. You have different systems like My Number, which is sort of like their form of a social security system, and, and many other trajectories of, of, of security vectors or threat vectors that come up that are uniquely Japanese or uniquely Singaporean or uniquely Kenyan. And so we take all that and then we build that into a single platform called Sai University. Wow. And that's here a, we are. Th yeah, that's a... a, a impressive goal 1 billion people that's that's a, that's amazing um let's 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 back up a little bit and just focus on the 100, 130 million people that are in japan um do you what differences i mean you mentioned a couple of the unique uh, aspects of japan they've got my number they have some um uh, unique data protection and privacy rules and regulations but in terms of cybersecurity awareness where do you see japan say in comparison to north america or or, or europe even Wow. I'd say in respect to security awareness, woefully underprepared. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that Americans are more prepared. You know, your everyday employee, and that's where we're looking at. Our, our focus is not IT. We're not training IT. We're not training people in the departments that are going to be building the systems or the technology stack and, and handling them from the technical perspective. We're looking at how does everyday employees across the entire enterprise and even government employees, family units within a household, how are they prepared to address security awareness? You know, if you look at people who are trying to attack all the malicious actors, they want to attack places that are easy to enter. And places that are easy to enter are going to be much easier in terms of resistance. That's much more simple just to penetrate through a phishing and then lateral their way in. Now, if that's the case, and if I was a threat actor, I'd say, well, the less security awareness there is, the better it is and success there is for the type of things that we do. So I'd say Japan is really underprepared, especially on the SMB side. May I don't know what the numbers are. I haven't seen anybody look at what the penetration marketplace looks like for security awareness. I'd say it's very small. I'd say probably the large banks, some of the huge financial institutions probably have some degree of security awareness built into some of their arsenal. But so I, I mean, I can give you some anecdotal uh, evidence. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, so, for example, I, I'm in Japan right now, as you, as you know, and um, 
you know, I would say just a rough guesstimate, maybe 20 to 25, 30% of the websites that I visit, Japanese websites, mm-hmm. are, are non-secure. They're not, they're not using the HTTPS, There's, you know, <laughs> right. and which, which is, it's basically <clears throat> you're creating a website that could be a potential threat to your visitors by doing that, right? Um, yeah. And then in, in, in terms of like the use of multi-factor authentication, yeah, I mean, the, 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 or two-factor authentication, Many banks or financial institutions have some sort of system to do that, um, and, they're, and they're actually pretty good about that. But when you go beyond that, in terms of just inside of companies and having, you know, I, I was visiting a, a a very large company, a couple, you know, multi-billion-dollar organization recently, and we talked about you know the use of multi-factor or two-factor authentication for global admins, and they thought it was too troublesome to use that, and that's just kind of a a standard practice outside of Japan. So I think there's, you know, th- those are the IT people. But when it comes down to the people on the street, there's even less awareness, you know. So I think you've got a you've got a big job, but like you said, a big opportunity ahead of you. Exactly, and it's very unique because Japan is the third largest economy in the world. It's very sophisticated in one regard, but also not sophisticated in, on another perspective. So I've saw that time and time again over the years, and, and those are the challenges. And a good parallel with that is is in legal. So I started off in my business career in Japan after law school and eventually the one of the first successful businesses that we deployed was a legal support services business in, in what's known as electronic discovery e-discovery for short in the United States now a lot of Japanese companies over the last 10-15 years have unfortunately been involved with major litigation in North America and a lot of this has to do with compliance not having the controls in place across their entire enterprise and then they end up in a place like the United States or in Europe, and in my, in my case, in the United States, and they get caught up in lots of multi-district litigation, government investigations, and massive amounts of fines, penalties, follow-on civil suits, which cost them billions of U.S. dollars, and, and even led to some people going to jail. Now, I'm looking at that, and this is still going on today, and we have a lot of Japanese companies that have improved in their internal controls and compliance. But I would say we're in the same situation for security awareness because Japan has not built in the right type of security protocols specifically when it comes to ensuring that everyday employees, when you mentioned the website, and something as simple as that, are you ensuring that your visitors are protected? What about your employees, your subcontractors, your supply chain, upstream, downstream? What about your employees that are based in other countries? There was something that happened just a couple of days ago. A big automotive company just suffered a breach. I forgot which company. I think it was, I want to say if I remember correctly, Honda. It was. One of their subsidiaries, yeah. Honda, right? Yeah. And Toyota faced something similar about six, seven months ago. Their subsidiary, and I want to say it's Belgium, they had faced something, a business email compromise, essentially a phishing scheme, and eventually lost, I think it was some $37 million dollars. And they had to report this as a public company. They reported this and said, you know, we due to we're still investigating it. And I haven't followed up on this. So I don't know what ended up coming of this, but I remember seeing that public report that they had to disclose. And this is massive when you think about how much money they're losing. Whereas if you just invested in just basic awareness and ensured that every employee in the company has both taken some of these courses or ensured that they have properly developed the proper hygiene so there's just there's so many different layers to this and i I would say a lot of it's not even done 
So um, I think we, we, we can we can all agree that um, you know the the human aspect is the, is the biggest threat vector. I think something like eighty yeah. percent of all breaches um, originate from a phishing campaign, um, some kind mm-hmm. of um, malware attached to an email, and somebody clicks yeah. on it. Um, but so tell me a little bit about your education programs. That I mean, how do you go about creating awareness? Um, and we can talk about Japan, or you can talk about other examples. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm gonna. What? How does your? How do your courses look? What's the content like? Yeah. So, the content is built around organizations to strengthen the endpoints, which is just a fancy way to say every employee who touches any network, from your mailroom to the boardroom, and the coursework. And I, I try not to use the word coursework, but for this lack of a better word. Let's just say it's a, a learning pathway, and and they have enough. Yeah. So, the idea behind the courses is developing different learning pathways, and so every organization has to have a basic foundational knowledge of just the general threats that are out there, and so all of that is going to apply no matter what country you're in, and then with that you would layer. Specific, either industry specific. So, if you're in the pharmaceuticals, there might be very specific type of concerns they may have. And if you go even more granular, there may be certain policies that you can layer into some of the conversations and the learning courses that you build into that. So, what we do is we start with basic foundation work. Eighty percent of it is going to be the same, no matter what country you're in, no matter what language you're operating in. And then from there, we layer in, depending on industry, depending on threat vectors specific to that department. That are unique, and that's how we sort of built out each learning pathway. And we we have different ways to have metrics, so you can measure outcomes. Because the goal here is to be able to shift and change behavior. It's one thing of just getting people to go and watch videos, and then look at them, and then learn. But how do you test that? And you want to have phishing campaigns? Do you have them where you employees learning over time. This is something you have to look at different methodologies and modalities in psychology. How do people learn? How do they retain information? And can you test that? And that's what we try to do and deploy that through one single module where you can do all of that together in an organization, whether you run it through a third-party company that manages that, like, like ourselves, or you can deploy that internally, have internal chief learning officers or somebody internally can manage that entire campaign. So I would say most Japanese companies, especially if you're looking at SMBs, they're not going to have a chief learning officer or somebody to devote it to that. So you're going to do a lot more of handholding in that process, which means that you or one of us would have to work with each organization. And so it's a lot of work, actually, to do this. You have to get them to first understand the importance of security as not a, a IT issue itself, but as a responsibility across the entire organization. So we really have to spend time educating senior executives of the company or board members. And that's the challenge, I think, in Japan is to communicate that to the prospective people who are in those positions, who tend to be much older. And in some ways, I would say, if, if, to be honest, is often out of touch with the realities of how critically important security is and that's that's the part that i think is the one of the most challenging is how do we communicate that effectively to the executives and do it where they can invest both budgetary you know monies and dollars into this and then also ensure that the organizations within that that company are dutiful in that process and make sure that we can actually do this properly 
Yeah, it's, it's multifaceted, to be honest. There's very few people doing security awareness in Japan. And it's a new booming field. And we're still seeing just the early stages of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about some of the, the older people, and I'm not here to pick on older people because I'm getting up there in years myself. But um, <laughs> in Japan, the, the government uh, official who was appointed to be the, the, I can't remember, Minister of Cybersecurity, um, yeah. it, after his appointment, he admitted that he'd never used a computer in his life. And I was like, well, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, he's a great administrator and, he, and he'll get stuff done. But um, I, yeah, it just kind of goes to your point. So let, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, how do companies engage with you? I mean, what, what kind of model, a business model do you have to deliver your learning paths? It's a license agreement. We hmm. have a deployment where individual organizations would purchase a set of licenses and they would use that depending on the number of employees that they have in the organization. And so we operate that way. That's generally for the security awareness education side. We also have our free learning path, with, which is a lot of our events that we do on site. So we invite them to seminars. We have public campaigns that we do regularly in Japan. Before COVID-19, we used to host these large-scale security awareness conferences, what we used to call SIA summits in Tokyo. We hosted one a few months back before the COVID-19 in Tokyo at the Tokyo American Club, where we had hundreds of people across Japan participate and outside of Japan. So we invite a lot of Japanese companies to participate and learn about what the threats look like and how they can build better defenses. And we invite people from the public, from the private, from government. Just, and, a, just out of, out of, out of mm-hmm. curiosity here, um, you mentioned you had uh, you know, 100 or 200 people at this event yeah. in Tokyo. Um, what was the profile of the people in attendance? Were these business executives or were these IT professionals or these just general consumers? Who were they? There were a combination of business executives. There were a lot of people from compliance, people okay. that were attorneys. And unfortunate, fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, it's understood sometimes as a compliance function. And that's for good or bad. It is what it is. And so we have a lot of people coming from the compliance department, from chief compliance officers to individual attorneys that are working with a lot of compliance departments across Japan. So the profile was quite diverse. You know, we have people that are working in the more early stage companies, you know, tech companies. And so the goal with that it was always how do we expand this conversation outside of IT? I didn't want it to be an IT conversation. Once I start going to that, there's other formats forums for that type of conversation. I, I went to a thing called Code Blue. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's a it's like Japan's version of like a DEF CON. If you've ever been to DEF CON in Las Vegas. And they have hackathons, they do red teaming and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's fun. I, I was there not too long ago, last the last one they did. And that's that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to engage with media, people in the communications, entertainment. We want people to talk about this so that everybody is aware of the importance of security and that to make that into a mainstream interactive session and that's what we do and a lot of our campaigns our public facing campaigns is not really focused on speaking to other cybersecurity. so i I like having the opportunity to speak to people that are outside like next week i have a a show that i'm going to be hosting and we'll be inviting guests from japan and we're not going to talk too much about cybersecurity. there'll be a small segment of cybersecurity, but we're going to talk about Japanese ringi system. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm sure you are, since you're in Japan. So explain it for those that might not be familiar. The ringi system is a 
a form of Japanese consensus building internally at a company. And it happens, I say, almost all the time in every single Japanese corporation where you have to go and build consensus within each different department. And and you can do that, that so quick, so quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. If you have the patience and a couple of years, you know, it's that that's that's one of the um, I guess you know there's there's goods and bad sides to it. But uh, it, when you first get here, it can be a little frustrating because things take a long time. Yeah, it does, and there's good things for that and and, and bad things. And we're going to talk a little bit about the original the historical underpinnings of the Ringi Show. And the ringi system and that's going to be something we talk about in, in more of a general broad historical intellectual inquiry so uh, it's going to be fun but how but does that relate to cybersecurity awareness if if you want to tie it back to security awareness is sales into japanese organizations or you you and i are in sales how do you sell into a japanese organization how is how do you interact with various different departments within the organization. Do you target the IT department? Do you focus on the executive? How do you get introductions to key decision makers within an organization? And as you know, Japan could be a very insular country. And it's not easy, even if you spoke the language, to penetrate Japanese culture, business culture. And so it what really, really takes... Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. Uh, one of the things that's it's kind of difficult during the, this uh, COVID time is that people, you know, I said things are relatively open here, but for a couple yeah. months, uh, you know, all, m- most face-to-face meetings were discouraged. And yeah. in the U.S., I would do 90% of my deals without having met people face-to-face because, you know, we do everything uh, remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even even if before COVID, I mean, you know, you just do uh, conference calls and you find out what the customer wants. Um, you put together a solution and, and they're like, yeah, let's let's go with it. Um, and, and especially in the cybersecurity uh, area, because you're dealing with, in my particular case, I'm dealing with a lot of IT professionals and they, they're just like, Hey man, if you can solve this problem, let's just, let's get on with it. We don't need to have to sit down in, in a meeting room together. That said in, <laughs> in, in Japan, you know, if it takes, you need to have that face-to-face contact typically historically to build that relationship. And you need mm-hmm. to have several face-to-face contacts and you might have to have, you know, some meals together or drinks together to kind of yeah. accelerate that if possible. But mm-hmm. during this time where, you know, people just aren't meeting, it's kind of, if, as a, I would, I feel sorry for business development professionals in Japan who don't have an established customer base. If you've got that established customer base, fine. They're, they're loyal, they're, they'll stick with you. But if you're just trying to get things going right now, it, it could be challenging. I, I got a question for you. How are you prospecting new opportunities? How do you do that? In a, in a situation like this, where if you don't have a customer base and you're starting and saying, okay, how do I begin? I can't meet them face to face. I'm going to rely on my existing network to get an introduction to a company. And let's say that was the target company you wanted to get an introduction to. How would you start? Yeah, so, so, so I, I know this podcast is about cybersecurity awareness, but you ask, <laughs> you ask an interesting question. And um, what I do is, I tend to focus on a, on a very small niche and I, I work with a lot of foreign multinationals who tend to either, even if they're, even if their country managers are Japanese, they tend to be a bit more um, uh, right. pro- progressive or I, that's probably not the right word. Maybe they're maybe more international in terms of their customs and business acumen. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, and I have a pretty extensive network in Japan. I've been pretty active in the ACCJ, which is the American Chamber of Commerce Japan. 
Um, and so I leverage that network to get introductions. I also do um, occasionally, I mean, believe it or not, in the last uh, three months, I've had a couple legitimate opportunities come in from LinkedIn posts. You know, you post something, people are like, oh, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that you do that. You provide that kind of service. Can we yep. set up a call? So that's what I've been doing. And it's, it's not the, the ideal method, but it's, it's what we are, uh, what, what we're kind of forced to do at this point. Now, mm-hmm. as things open up here, what I've done in the past is actually, it's really good to have um, some Japanese boots on the ground, Japanese uh, experienced business development professionals or solution architects. And then we go out together because a lot of Japanese companies, um, and I guess this is, it's not, really, it's not really about cybersecurity, but if you want to do business in Japan, it's important. Um, Japanese uh, business people, they might love your product and service, but they want it. They want. They really feel more comfortable if you have a Japanese project manager, or they know that you have a Japanese colleague on the ground here that they can communicate with. Um, oftentimes, so that's that's kind of the the strategy that I've used in the past. Is you know, I get the meetings, but then I bring in my my uh, local solution architect or project manager, etc. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense to you. Oh, it does. It makes a lot of sense to me. We, we do all of the above. So you want to take it back to security awareness. So how, how about we talk about, there was an interesting report that came out published by the Ministry of Communication in Japan. And they published a report back in 2016. And in that report, it said Japan had faced in, in that year, 2016 or 2015, depending on which year they were looking at for this report that came out in 2016, is they had faced 128 billion incidents of cybersecurity attempts whether they were successful that that wasn't the point of the report the report really wanted to highlight the vast amount of security attempts you know the billions of attempts that are coming at them from multiple sources right these aren't just hackers sitting alone in the basement these are organized so what was interesting about this report is that it was looking at all the threat vectors and how much cybersecurity incidents not necessarily incidents, but I would say the way they characterize it was there was over 126 billion cybersecurity attacks, attempts in Japan against critical infrastructure, against the entire country. And what was fascinating about this is not necessarily that this is happening, but we all know it's happening. The, the, the companies in Japan, they know this is going on, but what are they doing to ensure that they're putting the right Met, you know, it, it's 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 challenging because I, you can rattle off all kinds of things like this and say there's all these security issues in Japan. You know, one company after another getting breached. It, it's a, it, it, how do you translate that into action in in the right places? And that's the the issue we're always trying to look at communicating to well, people. Is it- and I, I think one mm-hmm. of the challenges is um, you, you you touched on it earlier is. Um, a lot of organizations and, and the people in those organizations view cybersecurity as an IT problem. And so they'll be willing to throw money at IT solutions. But, you know, you could have the best firewalls, you can have the best uh, threat protections, threat detections, uh, intrusion detection systems, uh, you know, security operation centers. You can have all that. But if your employees don't have, you know, understand basic email hygiene, right? You know, if they're, if they're clicking on links, that, that, that um, malicious links that are sent to them, sooner you know that's going to open up the door and so you know i i i I really think that's this whole technology versus education discussion is interesting and 
I think, you know, that, that needs to start, like you said earlier, at the C-suite as well, where the leadership understand, understands really what is cybersecurity and where does it start? And, and basically, I mean, I'm taking a course right now, uh, an online course through, through, through Harvard, um, and they, you know, they make it very, very clear that cybersecurity, that is, is every person in the organization is responsible for security and cybersecurity. You know, being aware, look, you know, and then, and no, and then uh, reporting. That's another thing in Japan. What are your thoughts about um, if somebody makes a mistake, you know, is it, are they encouraged to directly report that? Is there a high degree of transparency or is that something that needs to be fostered? Okay. Both. You have, you need a culture of reporting, but you also need the legal regime that ensures that companies have to ensure that they report. So like, let's say you contrast that with the United States. The United States has a, a breach notifications across almost every state. For a company, those are challenging. Right? It could be onerous and expensive because now you have to deal with every single state. Every state's going to have different breach notification rules. You have GDPR, GDPR in Europe. You have CCPA in California and every different country may have their own. Japan recently just passed and, and amended their APPI, their data privacy rules. And what you need is multiple things in Japan. You need also the right type of legal regulatory regime that one has teeth and that's enforced. And, and then you also need to foster an education within the organization to ensure that people do what they should be doing. And so it's, it's multi-pronged. And, and you have to start even with beyond the organization. You have to build the right kind of cultural importance of education around security. Uh, I would say starting from a young child, every time a child receives a device, there should be with that corresponding conversation that they have to treat that device with the proper type of etiquette. And I mean, that is a critical function of what we also are doing too. We have a lot of conversations around family safety and children online security. How do we do that? We're not just focusing on just the corporate safety and security. That's more of we, we, they, they are incentivized because they want to keep protections around their trade secrets to ensure people are not stealing. That's fine. Yeah, and you have that. And, and, but what about when you're looking at the crown jewels of the home? I'm not talking about your children. You're talking about your family's information. Those are also just as I, I mean, I, I, so I know so many do... parents that are like, mm -hmm. oh, how do I put parental controls yeah. on these devices, you know, and what's the best way to do it? What are best practices? And it's like a lot of times you get together with other yeah. parents and we're all comparing notes, you know, how many hours of screen time? Yeah. How do you yeah. how do you make sure how do you track where they go? Do you and all that kind of stuff? So sorry, I cut you off. Please, please continue. No, no, no. That's that's very important. How do we make learning paths around that? And so we're we're storyboarding a couple of videos and different discussions around how do we make compelling short informative videos for Japanese that in that, that really in, engages families mothers and fathers and children to treat this as, as the most important thing that they should be doing so that 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 part is hard to do because it's it's trying to take sometimes complicated information and making it simple and engaging and so we're, we're doing all kinds of different things to do that and we want we want to engage and listen to see like what what works and what doesn't work, and that takes no, a lot. It's, it's very important. So hey, um, I I, I yeah. you've shared yeah. a lot of uh, interesting information. If if 
any of our listeners wanted to find out more about your platform, where can they find, sure. uh, where, where can they go? Well, they can go on LinkedIn. We do a lot of work on LinkedIn through the Sci University page. They can contact me, Jonathan, at the SIA University page directly. They can contact me. We do a lot of content marketing. I recorded a live stream earlier today with a cybersecurity expert in Sierra Leone. I'll be doing one next week with Singapore. I'll be so I, I produce, and all of us at SIA produce lots of content, both in English and Japanese and Spanish. And so they can find us somewhere online. I'll, I'll put some. I'll put some links. We're, I'll we're put some links uh, below yeah. the, uh, the 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 podcast. Um, but um, but sure. go ahead. Could you just uh, mm-hmm. spell out your your URL for everybody? Sure. It is saya s a y a university dot com. There's a English version and a Japanese version. Perfect. And so and we also publish a lot of content, written content on. All kinds of things. We we just finished up a three part series on fishing, and so excellent. Well, we yeah, it's it's very well, very fascinating I, you know, content. Yeah, I was gonna say I just appreciate the the information that you shared and your time. Um, what's um what's next for you? I mean, you mentioned you you you're doing you're doing uh, podcasts and and mm-hmm. doing workshops. I mean, what's up in the next couple months? What's on your yeah. your itinerary? Getting, Getting back, back to Japan. Japan excellent. Good luck with that. <laughs> requires face-to-face and you mentioned the importance of face-to-face and there's there's so many important meetings that really need to be addressed and and it's hard to Mm. do that over the phone and and that's something i'm hoping to be able to get to in the next month or two once i can get to japan there's a lot public campaigns Mm -hmm. we have a lot of great partnerships that we're building with different japanese organizations to bring to life our security awareness there's so much every day that we go that's not allowing us to reach an audience for me is a an opportunity for a malicious act to penetrate a network and that's the way i see it every single day that goes without the right proper hygiene around cybersecurity to us is is a day where a penetration or phishing or bc or some kind of an attack vector may penetrate an organization or family so for us it's it's a very personal thing we want to be able to reach an audience and do that as as effective as we can though the next couple months we're hoping to continue the public campaign side what we can do online given the nature of the current situation with pandemic COVID nineteen. So. Well, yeah. So if you, well, sounds good. If, yeah. if you make it to Japan, let me know. Um, we'll hook up and uh, grab a beverage of some type and, uh, and compare notes. But uh, hey, Jonathan, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show, and I uh, wish you the best. Thank you, thank you, Mark, for having me. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk.